Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, Southbridge. Welcome. I think I can still say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year at the same time. So Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. I don't know for sure, but regardless, I hope you've had a just a wonder-filled joy-filled holiday season. If you're new here, I want to say a special welcome to you. My name is John Cullen, one of the pastors here. And maybe you started attending in December, uh, one of our Christmas services, maybe you came to Christmas Eve, one of our four services last weekend, and uh, didn't think we were too crazy and thought you uh, would check out this brunch that we're having and thought you'd come back. Or maybe today is your first time. Regardless, we are grateful that you've come to worship with us today. And today is unique as you're picking up. One, we have one service, and two, we don't always have brunch. So I just want to clarify expectations. If you are new and you come back next week, we'll probably have donuts and coffee, uh, but we're not going to have the spread that we have this morning. And also, I'm going to try to keep things condensed and keep it rolling, uh, because if you start, thank you, yes, if, if, you, if you start to smell the food, um, I probably will not be able to keep your attention or hold it. Uh, in fact, if I start smelling the food, I'll probably lose my own attention. And so we'll, we'll keep it going, but uh, I do invite you back next week as we'll be launching a new series in the book of Judges where we see a cycle of God's people where they rebel and turn away from him. They then feel the consequences of that diso- disobedience and turn back to him and ask and cry out for the Lord to renew them. And so we'll be unpacking those truths in this series and looking at how the Lord still desires to renew your heart, to renew my heart, renew our church our city, and our world. So I invite you to come back for that. We'll have two services, 9 and 11, and we'll also be hosting First Steps after that, which is for uh, newer people to Southbridge. It's a meet and greet opportunity to meet some of our leadership, pastors, ask questions. We'll give you some information. And if I don't get to connect with you today, I uh, would hope that I can connect with you next week, Lord willing, at First Step. That's after our 9 and 11 o'clock service. I hope to see you there. But as we jump into today's message, let me pray for us as we do so. Lord, we thank you for the gift of today, Um, a unique time in the calendar as we stand on the precipice of a a year that's just passed and a, a new year that's coming. And Lord, you know what everyone's faced in this past year. I don't, but you do. And you don't know what's to come, or we don't know what's to come in this next year, but again, you do. And so, Lord, as we open your word, I I just pray that we'd encounter you. We'd see you accurately today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I wonder if things are getting a little quieter in your house as they are for mine as the holiday season is coming to a a close. Um, Maybe you attended some Christmas parties or you're hosting some, had families, and it can get loud during the season. I love this season. It's great. Um, but I'm thankful that things are slowing down a little bit and it's getting a little bit quieter um, because I, I think some people don't realize my house is loud. They, I think they assume because I have a quiet and reserved personality that they also assume that my house is quiet and reserved. That's not the case. I have four daughters for those that don't know and a dog. In full transparency, my house is loud. And I'm not going to go into too many specifics because I don't want to embarrass my girls um, too much this morning. But when you put six sinners together, 
There can be this spectrum of the crazy or the, the frustrating side of loudness where people are bickering and arguing or upset that their football team doesn't do well the night before. Um, I, we, won't go, we won't go there. Thank you. Um, or it can be the fun, kind of crazy side of loudness. Uh, that's good. And uh, sometimes I'll be walking through my house and I'll just all of a sudden hear somebody break out in song in another room. I feel like I'm part of a, a Disney musical. His, his song is, is happening. And, um, or we have family game nights and things just get louder. For, for example, a friend introduced us to a game called Happy Salmon. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but I refer to it as Happy Hysteria. It's a card game, but... Everyone's standing around a table. Imagine this. Everyone's standing around a table. You all play at the same time. Um, as the game starts, everyone starts talking, which quickly escalates to uh, yelling and shouting. People are moving and bumping into each other as they're going around the table. Arms are flailing across it like a fish out of water. Uh, it can get quite crazy. And I said I had a dog as well. And our dog's looking at us, wondering, what is going on? Is everything okay? Are you having fun? I'm not sure, so I'm just going to bark. And it can get really loud. Well, here's a toolbox moment for you. This might be more applicable for younger parents. Uh, it's called the quiet game. Okay, some, some of you have, are familiar with this. I pulled it out on our way up to uh, Michigan over Thanksgiving. And uh, we we're all in the car. And it, the six of us and the dog. And music's playing. It wasn't a frustrating time of loudness. It was just getting louder and louder. Music. I'm, I'm driving somewhere in Ohio, I think. It's getting overwhelming and frustrating. And it reaches a point where I turn off the music and I say, all right, who wants to be the quietest? Ready, set, go. If it works, it's immediate peace, calmness, silence. Now, it, may, it worked better when they were younger, but they still will occasionally play because they're pretty competitive and want to win at whatever game we're playing at. So um, it worked in that moment for just a little bit. And the extroverts in the room are probably judging me that I'd pull this trick, I mean, game out for my kids. But there's probably also some introverts in the room that are wondering, does this work in other facets of life? I'll let you try that this week as you go back to work maybe and let me know. But as we close out the year, we step in the new one, we're kind of, again, this already and not yet of 2023, I want to attempt and create that space. I know we're, there's a lot of people in here, there, uh, there's, there's kids, we're going to do the best that we can. Because sometimes at this time of year, you hear a message about the five disciplines to implement or six tips to do or those types of things, and those aren't bad. But the Lord led me to lean into this moment because life can be loud and overwhelming. Not just from a holiday season, but from the pressures of life, right? I don't know what relational, there's relational issues you may be facing, marital, financial, stuff going on in your world. I don't know, the Lord does, but it can be overwhelming. And we look at the world around us with a war in Ukraine or uh, immigration status or a rise in inflation and political issues and mass shootings and it just overwhelms us. And then there's just the busyness of life, right? That can start to pile up and become loud and overwhelming. And so whether you're joining us online or here in the room, I want you all to take a deep breath with me. Let it out. 
Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. So I want us to be still, to cease striving, to stop fighting for something in this moment and really try to create some space where we encounter the glory of God and that's the title of today's message. And we'll be looking at just a, a brief portion of scripture where we see people encounter God, where they see him accurately and respond appropriately. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn to Second Chronicles 7. I'll be looking at a few verses there. And as you turn there, just to give you some context, if you're doing a Bible study in a year plan, maybe you started one today, maybe you're planning on starting one tomorrow. But uh, if you're reading through the Old Testament, you'll probably be getting through it, get through Samuel, get through First and Second Kings. Then you get to First and Second Chronicles and you're like, wait a minute, I just read all this. There's some truth to that because it's a lot of the same information. There's some unique things, but from a different perspective. And it focuses really on two main characters, David and Solomon. It really walks through the line of David's kings after the split of Israel. And God is showing his people that he's going to keep his promise of sending the perfect king, King Jesus. But at the, as we dial in here at the end of 1 Chronicles to the beginning of 2 Chronicles, it marks this transition from King David's reign to his son Solomon's reign, which one commentator talked about this as the zenith of political and cultural influence for Israel. So it's, it's really going well at this point. And in chapter one, as we get caught up to speed, uh, the Lord appeared to Solomon and asked, what should I give you? And instead of pray, praying for riches or influence in life, long life, he prays for wisdom and knowledge. I believe Solomon's at a point in his life where he's recognizing his humility that he can't lead God's people without God's help. And so he asked for that. And as you probably know, the Lord answers that prayer and giving him those things. And then he gives him all the other things too. In chapters two through five, there's this detailed description of the temple being built. Um, They're going from portable to permanent. If you're part of Southbridge's history, you know the excitement that can feel as you go from a portable church to a permanent campus. They're probably feeling and experiencing some of those things. But at the end of, in chapter five, we see the Ark of the Covenant being placed into the temple. And in chapter six, we see Solomon pray this prayer of dedication. Again, he's humbly kneeling before the people and kneeling before God and he's praying. And it's a long prayer. Um, It actually occupies more text than uh, the construction of the actual temple. I think it's maybe emphasizing the the writers uh, that he's placing on the importance of prayer. But chapter six concludes with verses 40 and 41. Now, O my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer of this place. And now arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. And so he's inviting the Lord to come and reside at the temple, which brings us to chapter seven. We'll pick up in verse one. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord. So can you put yourself there for just a moment before we start dialing into the details, just this worship service that was happening. Imagine coming together like this. Lots of people were gathering together. We sing some praises. Then we devote some time to prayer. 
and then God's glory fills the place. What a beautiful picture when God's showing up in all his glory and might and then the response we see of them, everyone just bowing down, regardless of what's going on in their life before or afterwards, regardless of the differences that they may have with somebody in the room, maybe seated next to them, they all bow down in worship before them. And ultimately, that's what we want Southbridge to be. We want to be a church like this, where we see God, we pursue him, we fear him, we run from sin, we take it seriously. We truly encounter him and not, are not manufacturing something or be in a place where we distribute some sort of spiritual goods. We want more of him because Jesus changes everything, right? But first, we need to see his glory. And that's the first point for today's passage, God's glory revealed. In verse one again, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And so we see three things as God reveals his glory. We see fire come down. We see the offerings being consumed on the offer, uh, the offerings and the sacrifices being consumed on the altar and the glory of God filling the temple. And the people of Israel would be familiar with these things. One, they experienced it just a couple chapters earlier in chapter five when the ark was coming to the temple. God does a similar thing and his glory is made manifest and, and real and tangible in front of them. And some of the older adults may have been alive when about 30 years earlier, God sent fire down to consume David's sacrifices. And they also would have been familiar with the oral history of what um, had happened in Israel through, throughout their history. Moses and the burning bush, they would have been familiar with it. They're wandering in the wilderness, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. That would have been familiar with them. They may have remembered the dedication of the temple or the tabernacle, very similar to this in Exodus 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Ezekiel describes God's glory in this way. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so like a rainbow, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. Later in Ezekiel, and the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the house and the house was filled with the cloud and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. And so God's glory filled the temple. And that word glory is actually, um, it's a Hebrew word, kabod, and stems from this word meaning weight or heaviness. And it was used historically for ancient kings, um, describing them when they would come somewhere with all this pomp and circumstance. And maybe, maybe you've been in Raleigh when an important politician or president has come to town and they've shut down ramps on, on uh, 540 or the, there's extra security around the airport or there's celebration. You, you know, you feel their presence. It's tangible. And that's what this word was used for. This, the glory of the king would be on display. It'd be felt. And so this word for God's glory is describing his presence. Now God is ultimately omnipresent, right? That means he's everywhere. There's nowhere in the universe where his glory does not reside. But we see in scripture these examples of God choosing to make himself visible through these local, particular, intense, I believe overwhelming manifestations of his presence. And I believe it's only a slice of his presence that they see. 
And I don't have this one for the screen, but in 1 Timothy 6, 15, it's talking about God who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So in addition to his presence that we see here, I believe God's glory reveals his worth, his attributes, his character, points to who, he's, who he is. And as I prayed earlier, I'm not sure what you're facing, but I really want to remind all of us of who he is. I know we've experienced loss and hard things over the past year plus, and clinging to his goodness and character is so important to get through those times. Because like in the book of Job, God can even use our suffering for us to see him. Because the reward we have in him transcends anything and everything, even the best things this world has to offer. And so his glory points to his worth. Where do we see that? In Nahum 1.7, he's good. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Our passage here, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And for Samuel, he's holy. There's none holy like the Lord, for there's none beside you. There's no rock like our God. In Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Hebrews, he's powerful. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. It's just his word. He's just, Isaiah. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you and therefore exalts himself to show mercy to you for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. He's faithful. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's gracious, Psalm 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's truthful, he's patient, he's righteous, he's loving, he's kind. And so his glory reveals his presence, reveals his worth. And the Israelites saw his glory and recognized him. And that leads us to our second point here. God's glory recognized. Have you ever seen a celebrity out in public? Uh, my family and I were recently on vacation and we were waiting out in front of a restaurant uh, getting ready to call, get called in and we saw Corey Cotton from Dude Perfect. I don't know if you don't, maybe some of you have heard of Corey Cotton and Dude Perfect, but they're uh, uh, celebrities to our family, yes. Um, some of, uh, I think my daughter's friends didn't think this was real. It was real. I'm confirming it in this moment. Um, but he's a celebrity to us. And so he was gracious. One of my daughters called out his name. He came over, had a quick conversation. He took uh, that picture with us. And my wife, Nikki, was able to talk to his wife. It was a really cool moment for us as a family um, and just this random, random thing that happened. And reflecting on it, I, I realized I can understand why celebrities disguise themselves when going out. Just random people. Uh, Corey, if you're watching, I'm sorry. Um, thank you for your gracious response. But I can understand why they, they, they want to go about lives unnoticed. And so if you've been in, in New York City or 
Beverly Hills or, or, Memphis or uh, Nashville or these places uh, that have lots of celebrities. You may have been around someone and not even realized it um, because they're disguised and, and want to just go about their lives. And, and unfortunately, I think we can go about our days and for various reasons, we miss God's presence. And it's not because he's disguised himself, it's because we don't recognize him. And this, in this passage, the Israelites definitely recognized him, and we can tell by their immediate response. In verse 2, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. In verse 3, when all, the people, when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement. We'll stop there. So they didn't need an interpreter to know what was happening or someone to translate. They saw God reveal himself, the fire descend, the glory filled, and they responded. They recognized God's glory, which caused them to recognize themselves. Because when we see God accurately, we see ourselves accurately. And scripture reminds us in Isaiah 6, he has an encounter with the Lord and he says, Woe is me, for I'm lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Revelation 1, familiar probably to you guys, John encounters the risen Christ. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, lampstands one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest and the hairs of his head were white like white wool like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He recognized what he saw. Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts 9 is probably familiar to you. He encounters the Lord. A light from heaven shone around him. He falls down to the ground and he has this life-changing encounter. And so my question for you this morning is, have you recognized his glory? Are you aware of his presence and worth? Do you recognize your need for him? Pastor Scott has said multiple times that the heinousness of our sin is not based on the wickedness of our actions, but the holiness of our God. I first recognized that when I was 18 years old in the basement of my grandparents' house. I finally understood the gravity and weight of my sin and how it separated me from God and my need for a savior, my need for Jesus. I understood that he came and lived the life that I couldn't live, a perfect one, and died the death that I deserved because the Bible says the wages of sin is death and without a sacrifice, there's no forgiveness without shed blood. Here in our, in the, after this section of passage, uh, scripture that we're going to look at, over 100,000 sacrifices were offered and shed blood that happened that ultimately points to the shed blood on the cross, the ultimate sacrifice. And so if you haven't recognized God's glory in this way, I invite you to consider it this, this morning, to turn to him, to cry out to him. And I'd love to talk to you about it after the service. And so for all of this, what are the implications of this type of encounter? They recognize God's glory. So what was their response? And that leads us to our final point here. When all the people 
of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good, for steadfast love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord. And so we see God's glory revered. Their response to God's manifest presence, his glory was worship. We see them on their face on their knees with their face to the ground. We see with their mouths that they're giving praise for he is good. And we see with their hands, they're offering sacrifices. And that continued for about three weeks. Can you imagine that? This, This service and sacrifices and worship continued for about three weeks. Incredible. And ultimately, this is important because as image bearers of God, We are wired for worship. We're always worshiping something. It's it's how God made us. Last summer, I had the opportunity to go to the mountains on my own, and I wanted to do some hiking. Um, Up front, just to let you guys know, I'm not really an outdoorsy person, so this was new to me, but I wanted to push myself, and so I got the information I needed on which trails to take, and I talked to the staff about it that were there. I had this question, control's an issue of mine, and I need to know all the details, and I said, what about bears? Should I be concerned about that at all? And she looked at me and said, no, you don't have anything to worry about. But if you see one, (laughs) just don't go near it. And I said, thank you for that profound, insightful piece of wisdom. Because my first inclination was actually to go to the bear. Especially if it was a mom and her cubs to try to get a family photo. No, I I didn't say that. I said, said, thank you. Uh, Thank you for that. And then I went and and hiked for the next couple days. Um, And my anxiety started to grow over the course of that time. Uh, I saw a sign that said, please don't pet the snakes. I wasn't even thinking of snakes until you put that sign there. <laughs> and then there was a sign that said the, the water from Bear Creek is safe for bears only. And I'm like, okay, great. The bears come here to drink and I need to go the other way. And I promise you I'm not lying. There was a couple times that I thought I heard, uh, uh, uh. a bear was tracking me for sure. <laughs> I was picking up stones, hanging out to them, walking louder down the trail, I was waiting for it to jump out in front of me and I was gonna dive down the side of the mountain or one come up from behind and I didn't know, but I think I was sweating more from my anxiety building than the actual hike itself. <laughs> Anyways, I reached, I reached a point where um, I had to put down the stones that I was carrying and I started to climb. I, I needed my hands to climb up to this top of the, the mountain here, this apex of the mountain where it opened up and I saw this. I think we have a picture. And I was moved to worship. I went to Psalm 19, 1. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. I was moved to ultimate worship. The squirrel or the deer or the bear that was tracking me, if they reached that apex point and saw that, they would not pause in worship. They would not be moved because we are different. That's how we're created. We're created to worship, ultimately worship him. And John Piper, how he talks about worship is this. 
He says the inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things. And then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from the lips and demonstrable acts of love and serving others for the sake of Christ. So in conclusion, I could list out a bunch of things to do or ways to start off the new year, things to implement. Um, but as I said at the beginning, I, I didn't want to do that. Because Pastor Scott has said before that sometimes we mistake activity for God with intimacy with God. I think that's so profound. And that, that my encouragement is simply for us to know him more. So in the new year, if you don't know Jesus, I want you to encourage you again to turn to him. To acknowledge your need and for your savior. And if you do know Jesus, I simply want to encourage you to develop rhythms. I don't know what it looks like for you. It looks different for all of us. And that's why I'm not getting so specific. But what does it look like for you to sit at Jesus' feet? I think of Luke 10 and the story of Mary and Martha. And Martha gets distracted by activity where Mary's just simply sitting at Jesus' feet. And so that's my encouragement for you as believers in the new year to grow in your love and pursuit of him, to create that space to sit at his feet where you see his glory revealed. You recognize it. And it moves you to revere him above everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you that we can call you Father. I'm just going to pause for just a brief moment. I don't know what the Lord's doing in this room and people's hearts and just creating space as I alluded to in the beginning of just stillness, peace, calmness. I pray that people meet you in that right now as I pause. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So Lord, I pray in this new year that we would be pursuing you and take steps of faith and know you more where we'd be transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Will you do that, God, in our lives? as a result that it would move us to worship with all that we are and that we would see the city transformed and lives changed because of it. We pray this all in your mighty name. Amen.